Now, is that better? We started this morning in Isaiah 6. We noticed verses 1 through 4. Let's go ahead and read those again and refresh us where we were. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and His train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings, with twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of Him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. We began this morning talking about uh, the lessons we learned from angels. And we were looking at simply the description given given of the seraphim uh, described for us in Isaiah chapter 6. We talked about some generalities uh, concerning uh, angels. Angels are created beings. They are not divine. They are not deity. Uh, They do not possess all knowledge like God does. They didn't even know the uh, details of the gospel or the mystery of the gospel, Peter said, as they looked into it. They cannot, they are powerful, but they're not all powerful. Those who sinned against God could not overcome His uh, power and He cast them from heaven. They are uh, uh, very fast and swift in what they do, going from one place to the other. And we're going to notice in just a few moments. But when uh, Gabriel went to Daniel, he had to leave heaven to go to Daniel. He wasn't in the presence of wherever uh, he wanted to be. He had to go from point A to point B, unlike uh, God, unlike the first, second, third persons of the Godhood who are everywhere all the time. Omnipresence. So they have a lot of ability, but they are not uh, God. They do not have the abilities that God has. We uh reading the passage in Isaiah. <clears throat> we noticed that uh, the cherubim and the seraphim are different. They are described differently. And uh, uh, there are ranks. We talked about that this morning. There are ranks of of angels. We talked about the archangel Michael, talked about, spoken of in Jude 6 and other places. Uh, we don't know if he is a, a rank of his own or if the archangel is one of a kind. Uh, I feel like maybe he is a seraphim, the highest rank of uh, the angels. And uh, But you have the seraphim, two wings, or six wings rather, and then you have the cherubim. The cherubim are described to us in Ezekiel chapter 10. In Ezekiel chapter 10, uh, verses 20 and 22, he wrote, This is the living creature that I saw under the God of Israel by the river Kibar. And I knew that they were cherubims, uh, had four faces apiece, and every one four wings. And the likeness of the hands of a man was under their wings, and the likeness of their faces was the same faces which I saw by the river of Kibar. Their appearances and themselves, they went, everyone straight forward. Of course, if we go back and we read chapter 1, it specifically tells us in that vision, Ezekiel does, on where, where the faces were located. One of, uh, the face of a man was on one particular side, and then on the other side, and he uses right and left. He talks about the faces of an ox, the face of a lion, and the face of an eagle. We notice this morning 
when God explains things to us, He has to explain it to us in terms we can identify with that means something to us. And whether or not that is an actual description of the spirit body, because a, a spirit body has a form, we can recognize it, or we will be able to recognize it, but whether it is literally the face of a man and then the face of an ox, uh, I tend to believe that, <clears throat> as we mentioned this morning, the face of a man represents reason. The face of an ox represents strength. The face of a lion represents uh, 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 kingliness or kingship, being in the very presence of God. And the face of an eagle represents swift, swiftness and strength as well. Uh, so we see the differences in the what how they are described and how they are detailed, the the seraphim from the cherubim. We talked this morning as we began to look at the lessons we can learn from the description of the seraphim that uh, the things we were going to notice is that the six wings had something to do with the face, the feet, and the flying. We talked about the face this morning. The covering of the face represents reverence, reverence toward God. Uh, hiding the face, and we looked at different aspects and examples where people did that. They hid their faces from God or they fell down upon their faces when being in the presence of God. Also represents righteousness because before we can show reverence, we have to first be righteous ourselves. And that brought us up to point number two. He had two, uh, uh, the, uh, the seraphim had two wings that covered their feet. When we look at uh, the angels who serve around the throne of God, they cover their feet in a sign or a posture of humility. Okay? Now, again, let's remember what Isaiah saw was a vision. Okay? It was an interpretation for him to be able to get a sense of what was going on in heaven in terms he could understand. And for him to relay that information, either in writing or in speech, to those listening to him, so they could get an understanding of exactly what was going on. The vision was to teach lessons. Okay, We talked about the covering of the face, uh, reverence, righteousness, the covering of the feet, is uh, humility. For one to cover his feet, what must you first do? You must stoop over or bend over, right? And when we stoop or bend or when we bow, what we are doing is we are showing humility toward that person. We're observing them as someone who is higher or above us. And we see it throughout the world in nations where they have kings and queens. What do you do when you step into the presence of a, of a king or a queen? Well, they expect you to bow, to give obeisance to them and to uh, observe them that they are greater, in fact, in position. Now, again, we're talking about a vision. It's kind of hard for some of us to, to stoop over and, and reach our feet today sometimes, isn't it? Maybe especially first time out of the bed in the morning, right? A little hard to get to your shoelaces maybe. That's okay. Because that's not a problem. Again, we're talking about spiritual things, right? Here's the problem. When a person is able, unable to bend in humility spiritually toward God. And we learn this from the seraphim. We're talking about a, a high rank of angel. Uh, greater than humanity. More powerful than humanity. And they see the, the need. 
in offering humility and, and condescending themselves in the very presence of God. Solomon proclaimed this. Notice Proverbs 8.13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogancy. And the evil way and the froward mouth do I hate. That's good advice, isn't it? The godly, the humble, they hate pride, they hate arrogance. Now we can have a, a, a scriptural sense of pride to be proud of the things we've accomplished, uh, to be proud that we've been able to do certain things. And But we always keep in mind who gave us those abilities, who blessed us with the things that we have. But of course what Solomon's talking about is an arrogance and a pridefulness that, that none of us need to have. He went on to say, Proverbs sixteen eighteen, went on to warn, Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. If the highest order of angels demonstrate humility toward God as they, as they serve Him around the throne of heaven, how much more should we demonstrate humility toward God as we try to live this life in the ways He has asked us to live and, and to demonstrate that humility toward Him? Of course we ought to, ought to demonstrate it. We're, we're created beings just like the angels are created beings. They're not uh, eternal. God created them. And so they're in subjection to God just the same as we are in subjection to God. And here's something we need to keep in mind. And I think we learn this from watching or reading about the seraphim and their description. Without humility, there will be no honor. Okay? In the vision that the Holy Spirit opened up for Isaiah to see as he saw as it were into the very throne room, of heaven again that's figurative okay it's not literal uh, there is a literal heaven but it's not it's not decorated in the sense that that we're seeing he's speaking in physical terms so we can understand it uh, Isaiah is seeing what heaven is he's trying to explain it to the reader but within this vision God is his glory is being demonstrated. But at the same time, the seraphim are being honored. They're being honored for their uh, uh, righteousness and for their reverence and for their humility as they cover their face and they cover their feet. Let's listen to the wisdom of Solomon once again. Proverbs 15, beginning with 32. Proverbs 15, 32. He that refuseth instruction despiseth his own soul. But he that heareth reproof getteth understanding. The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom. And before honor is humility. <clears throat> the one who rejects the teachings of God does so to the detriment of his own soul. But the one who is humble enough to receive instruction will receive honor and correction. Right? He'll be able to receive wisdom. And he'll understand exactly what his relationship is to God. Without God, there's nothing. Right? Without God, there's nothing. We ought to be able to recognize that. And I believe to, to hold God in reverence and humility instills in his children the dread of doing anything that he does not want us to do, that is against his will. It leads his children then to obey him at all cost, right? Because 
that's in their best interest and they need to sincerely do it to the best of their ability. I think sometimes there are some problems in the world with people and, and they have this attitude, well, I, you know, that's just the best I can do. That's just the way I am. Well, I don't think that's, that's what God wants at all. I think we need to sincerely do the best we can do. And God knows whether we're doing our best. We know whether we're doing our best. The idea that, well, that's just the way I am, not going to get it done. We need to change the way we are, right? If, if, if we're doing something that is contrary to what God wants. I think that that reverence produces humility because then one recognizes where he is in relation to where God is. We talked this morning about the transfiguration. As Peter, James, and John saw the transfiguration of Christ as he spoke to the great prophet Moses and the great, uh, or the great lawgiver Moses and the great uh, prophet Elijah. And what Peter wanted to do was to bring Jesus down to their level or to elevate them to Christ's level. We can't do that. We need to demonstrate the humility that understands I'm below, right? God is the greatest. As great as Moses was, did he ever make a mistake? Sure he did. Sure he did. As great as Elijah was, did he ever make a mistake? Sure he did. Just fill in the blank, right? Anyone who's ever lived has made mistakes. The preacher warned, Solomon warned. He said, Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God, and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. For they consider not that they do evil, be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven, and thou up on earth. Therefore let thy words be few. Ecclesiastes 5, 1 through 2. That's a that's a that's quite a statement, isn't it? When you go into the house of God, make sure you maintain your position. Don't go in, much like uh, the, the Pharisee did, when he went into the temple to pray. And he saw the publican. And then he went on to explain to God how great he was and how lucky God was, really, is what he was getting at, that he had someone like the Pharisee on his side and not like this publican. See, we need to maintain our position, right? We talked this morning about the angels that, that sinned against God. You said they left their first estate. The position where God placed them wasn't good enough. In their minds. So Solomon says when you go to the house of God, maintain your position. Don't do a lot of talking. Don't go in and explain things to God. I think of that often when... Have you ever heard someone pray and they spend 10 minutes in prayer quoting Scripture to God? Now I understand what they're meaning a lot of the time, but I think what we need to do is let that brother preach. Let that brother preach some, right? And we don't do that here, but what I'm saying is I've been places where I saw that. Does God understand the Scripture? Better than we do. Let's maintain our position. Let's offer uh, obeisance to God. Let's hear what He says. He doesn't need to hear anything from us, right? <clears throat> we need to, to honor Him and honor His position. Before one can expect the honor of eternal life, he must first cover his feet with humility. There were two wings that covered the face. Two wings that covered the feet. And then notice our third and final point. 
So we started this morning. It's two feet, two wings by which to fly. Flying demonstrates service. Now I think probably the way that the world thinks today, <clears throat> they look at that and they say, wow, six wings. I think we could fly with six wings would be better. Well, when we offer service to God, we need to do it with reverence and we need to do it with humility. Who gets the honor? God does. God does. If we're going to be like Ananias uh, and Sapphira, Acts chapter 5, they were flying with all six wings, weren't they? They weren't covering their face in, in reverence. They weren't covering their feet in humility. They wanted a pat on the back and in fact they lied to, to God about how much, uh, what they were giving the church. They said, we sold a piece of property and we're giving the whole thing to you. Who can lie to God and get away with it? What happened to them? God struck them dead right then and they died. This is in the very early stages of the church and people needed to understand. God means what He says and He says what He means. We don't need to fly with two wings. We need to serve in humility and in reverence. But we need to serve, right? It, this not only speaks of service, but what it speaks of is earnest and prompt service, right? We see that, and that's what this representation is. Let's go back to, to Gabriel and Daniel. Daniel nine twenty one. Daniel wrote, he said, Yea, whilst I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. You see, God had a job for Gabriel. And he needed Gabriel to do that job. And now here's what Gabriel didn't do. He didn't talk himself out of doing the job. He didn't convince himself that someone else needed to do the job or someone else could do it better. What did Gabriel do when God put him in a position to fulfill his job? He swiftly left heaven and before Daniel was through with his prayer, he touched him on the arm. And he came to deliver a message. Let's think of it this way. If God were to present himself to us today, let's say that, that God presents himself to us as he presented, presented himself to Joshua, the captain of the hosts of God's army, the second person of the Godhood. Let's say he presented himself to us today in the form of a man, someone we could identify with. And he said, let me... Let me ask you, brethren, to do something. I want you to leave right now. I want you to go out, and I want you to evangelize the areas wherein you live, and I'll be waiting right here for you to get back. What would we do? We'd be fighting for the door. Wouldn't be asking someone else to do it, would we? Now, here's what we don't need to misunderstand. We don't need to understand that that means us being able to do things we're not able to do, right? Uh, you know, some of us have a little hard time just walking around, getting to where, you know, being mobile, as mobile as we'd like to be. So I don't know that God, well, I do know, God does not expect that person to do the things that, that say, perhaps I could do, going out walking or doing whatever. Now, here's something else. I think God wants us to, to be good stewards of our time and our effort. 
Brethren, I just don't think door knocking is going to get it done anymore. I really don't. I think the day of door knocking is over. Uh, you know, I still do it from time to time, but, but that's not going to get us anywhere. So I think we need to be good stewards over our effort and our time. We need to figure out something. And so I think if, if God appeared to us today in a form that we could identify, and He said, I want you to go out and evangelize your areas, I think maybe the first thing we would do, we'd get together and we'd say, what do we need to do? Right? What's our best way to use what we've got, use our talents, and how can we do this? And then I think we'd go do it. And see, the whole point is, when God gives a message or God gives us a job, we do it promptly and we do it quickly. Right? That's what Gabriel did. Gabriel took the job and he did it quickly, what God asked him to do. Uh you know, I don't think that that necessarily translates into into uh, uh, physical living today. I think that a lot of times people, and I'm and I'm thinking of myself when I say this. I think a lot of times people consider, well, so and so's doing that, or so and so's doing this. You know, I'm I'm going to do this. I need to step outside the area I'm comfortable with, and I need to try to figure out something. I need to try to determine. How's, what's the best way for me to reach someone around me to bring them to the gospel? That's what God expects. And He expects me to do it quickly, swiftly, and sincerely. And put my, for, my best effort forward. And we learn that from angels. When, they, when God sent them on a mission, they took care of the mission. Let's go back to uh, uh, Genesis and Abraham and Lot and the, the two angels that appeared in the form of men along with with the second person of the Godhead who later became Jesus, but he appeared in the form of a man and he ate with Abraham and he sent those two angels on to take care of some business down in Sodom and Gomorrah and the other five cities of the plains. And they took care of that business, didn't they? They didn't wait. They didn't say, hey, you know, let's do that next month. Hey, let's wait till we have a committee meeting on something. We'll figure that out then. No, they went. They took care of the problem. That's what we learn from uh, from angels working hard. And we need to do that. I think a lot of people feel like attending services is working hard. Now, for that individual, that may be about all they can do. And that's fine. Maybe all they can do is attend services, maybe make a phone call or send a card or something. And you know what? They've done the best they can do, and they've done it sincerely, and they've done it promptly, and they've pleased God in doing it. But without service, brethren, we need to understand and always keep in mind, without service, there is no salvation. Now, I don't mean, uh, unless those who are not able to do, again, something physical. Okay, we don't need to misunderstand that. Uh, we did some door knocking here a while back. <clears throat> a lot of us got out there and door knocked. Some of us weren't able to do that. And that's fine. They helped do some other things. There's some... Some of our ladies came up here and made some sandwiches for us, and, you know, uh, that was their part. And, you know, sometimes we just can't do certain things. Again, I don't think door knocking is, is, is the avenue anymore. Not wrong if we try it, but in today's world, it might be a little dangerous to knock on someone's door when you tell them you're a Christian. So we just need to be careful. But we need to uh, offer the best service we can offer. And that's the representation of the, the two wings that the seraphim by which they flew. We better be trying to evangelize, to edify, and to help those around us. Notice what the words of Jesus
are. John 9 verse 4. He said, I must work the works of Him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. Do you believe the world really believes that God expects less from His people than He did from His own Son? I don't think so. I think we know better than that. When we look at the seraphim, and we're particularly talking about seraphim today, uh, but when we look at the angels in general, not a lot is known about angels, but they're an amazing order of beings. And we can learn a lot from them, even from simply the description given to us. We have to, but we have to do it through the study of, of the Word of God. They're not going to appear to us like they did Daniel any longer. That's not going to happen. But we learn that they're faithful, that they're diligent, they're ministers of God in some way, or at least have been in the past. And we can do all three of those things. And we better do it. I think that's the message. Out of all the things we can think about and consider about angels, I think the thing that touches me the most is they have the right to choose their direction just like we do. At one time in, in, in the history of time or before time was created at some point, Angels rebelled against God, and some of them were cast down. I, I would say, you know, most of them probably didn't go that way, but they chose to stay. They chose, and we have a choice. We have the choice whether to be faithful to God, whether to be obedient to God, whether to do the things He's asked us to do or not. He's not going to make us do that. He's not going to make us show Him reverence. He's not going to make us show humility to him he's not going to make us serve him he's not going to make us use our wings in the way that uh, uh, the angels use theirs of course I'm, I'm saying that illustratively but that's what he expects and we have we can choose to do it or not to choose to do it but we have a choice of salvation do I want to obey the gospel do I want to believe that Jesus is is exactly who he said he is or was he a fraud in history well, I think he's probably been the most investigated person in the history of the world. Never been proven to be a fraud. I believe in him. I know you do. Do I choose to repent of sin and, and turn my life around? Well, we need to. Do, am I willing to confess that I believe that he is the Son of God, that he lived, that he died on the cross for the sins of humanity, that he reigns right now over his kingdom? Am I willing to make that good and great confession? Am I willing to be immersed in water so my sins will be washed away? Adding me to the Lord's church, Galatians 3, 26 and 27. And then working and serving afterward until He decides to return or my time is over. That's a choice we have. Now look out, most of us here have obeyed the gospel. I have a choice of correcting mistakes in my life. Am I willing to repent and ask God to forgive me, either privately or publicly? That's a choice. And we have an opportunity right now to make that choice. And if you need to answer this invitation, do that as we stand and as we sing.